Hey, this is Kevin Lyman, and you're listening to the All Pugged Up Podcast. All right, what is up, everyone? Allie, Bailey, and I have a very special show for you today, as we have a very special guest who honestly really does not need an introduction. It's one of the godfathers of the scene, Warp Tour founder, Kevin Lyman. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you, Tyler? Hello, Bailey, and hello, Allie. Hi, welcome to the show. Very yeah. Thank feeling you. So a better, feeling in a better mood being on your show than I might have been when I went to bed last night. And then we'll go uh, in the <laughs> that, that makes four of us. There was yeah. a, a quote out there right now, you know, so... Yeah, so uh, for anybody listening, it uh, we are recording this episode on the 4th of November. Um, it is towards the end of the second night of elections, so we don't really know who the president is at this point, but it looks like it's leaning more towards Biden. So, um, Kevin, it is an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on. Whether people know it or not, whether they know you personally, professionally, or only heard about you, you've helped shape and change a lot of people's lives in positive ways. So some people may not even realize it. We here realize that. And for that, we sincerely thank you so much. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's, it's, uh, it's nice to be able to do this. So obviously, this is a weird time we're in. Uh, the music industry in our normal way of life has been put on hold due to the pandemic. I think we usually like to start off our interviews, especially nowadays, with, you know, how are you doing during the pandemic? How are you holding up? How are you staying busy? How are you staying sane? All that. I mean, I'm actually been super busy. I'm also, you know, as I was kind of winding down warp tour, I was offered a full-time professorship at the uh, University of Southern California. So I'm teaching five classes um, right now at the University of Southern California. And uh, so, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a heavy load. Throw in a few uh, capstone projects and some independent study. And uh, that's been busy. Plus, you know, it, it, it is a time of, you know, our traditional hiccup in live shows, you know, because we are so dependent in the live business, but it's allowed a lot of kind of innovation and adaptation towards new things. I mean, people are doing more things. I guess I've always been lucky to be a kind of a sounding board for people. So people who have started companies during this time or artists that are thinking about doing things. Uh, I mean, I have more than enough to fill my time. Um, you know, it is tough that we can't go to a live show. Uh, but there, I'm not never in a lack of something to be done. Awesome. We just had our, we just had our, I voted concert shit last night, yesterday. We had over 400 bands play, uh, to celebrate that the, uh, we have the right to vote in America. Uh, you know, it was interesting because it, it was a bipartisan program, but how in the last 21 days or so, how even voting became a partisan issue. Like if you wanted to vote, you were looked at one way, or if you wanted to celebrate voting and, and really, so that was that was very cool. Um, that just wound down. I think we're we're just doing our some of our rebroadcast tonight. So you know, I think it's a little bit of a. I think we've got a, a, a collective hangover almost without without the the booze background for many of us right now. It's uh, <laughs> you just kind of like you've been run, everyone's been emotionally at running at such a high level. Um, I think a lot of it. You know, we we're realizing, and we're going to have to explore as a society. Was it created by social media and and everything because look polling gener everything when people went to vote yesterday it was a safe experience we had all this rumors about blowing up polling stations and harassing people who wanted to vote really done so i think we're at a we're at a point in society where we're really going to have some reckoning to do as 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 a collective group to see where we want to go yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more so I, I feel really silly bringing this up now because you just made a lot of really great points about like the state of the world and voting and, you know, our rights and how voting has become like now a political issue, even though it should be a right. Um, I guess on a lighter note, you know, anyone who, you know, knows you and follows you knows that you like to tend to your garden. And I am so stoked that I saw the other day that you are prepping your winter garden. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what are you growing right now? What's your like process to make it through a California winter? Like I'm, I'm, I really love gardening as well, or at least I used to whenever I lived in Louisiana. 
So like, I'm really curious about like what you're growing right now. And well, I mean, the nice thing about California, we have a year round growing season and it's a good transition because we, we did have to find things to focus on during COVID. I always loved gardening. I also was on the road for 28 summers, that, that period of time. Every summer on Warped Tour or Lollapalooza, I'd get my, my summer garden started and then I'd have to leave. And literally it would go wild. Some things would die. Most of it would die um, overgrown. Um, so I think with, with it was funny because I was just started posting some of my photos like from Instagram and they were getting a great response from people at the beginning of COVID. And like, and I think it actually goes into that thing that, you know, to, to transition, like it was a time like to transition and try new things. So by encouraging people to, hey, go plant a seed somewhere or plant, you know, you could do it everywhere. And people were emailing me going, I'm trying to plant something for the first time. Um, but it is, we get to have a winter garden and we grow lettuces and we grow bok choy. And I think there's onions out there. There's cauliflower, broccoli, mm -hmm. uh, spinach and things. And uh, it looks like we're not going anywhere for a while. So, uh, you know, we can uh, try to remain healthy and uh, eat some of those vegetables this winter time. Gotcha. Make sure that you put, so this is a thing that my dad does in his garden, especially during like winter and spring, especially. Uh, make sure you try and plant some marigold so that and because marigold keeps pests away keeps bugs away absolutely if you look at some of those bass photos you'll see them in the corners I always oh really marigold. Okay, yeah. cool. no, i appreciate that tip. that is a great natural pesticide you know planting yeah. marigolds between uh, your tomatoes and stuff it's a great thing uh don't run around and spray your uh you know raid and pesticides you know try to figure out some of the natural things like you were saying ali with uh with uh, marigolds god this is so we're talking about planting vegetables and you know it's like <laughs> i'm absolutely going to get your punk rock cards taken away <laughs> mine were taken away long ago bailey's crawling under the desk going oh man i don't want to be talking about gardening <laughs> hey listen listen here at all punked up we have layers okay we are complex we are more than just music nerds we also like to plant stuff <laughs> yeah no i it's just you know it's it's yeah, I don't know. It's just we we all we you know the 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 hope after this election thing is that someone's going to take control of this COVID situation uh, and tackle it the way it was. You know, I mean, in our in our business, you know, it, you know, sometimes I, I would have to take the heat running my business. I ran a large operation between Warp Tour and all the other events we did. And sometimes, but as a leader, you have to step up and start making decisions. And uh, when this all happened and it was bottom down governance and it was left up to the counties and the cities and the person that owned the punk rock club should i do a show should i not do without any guidance so let's let's hope let's you know uh, that hope that it, uh, it continues the way it looks like it's going to for this election and we can start tackling this as a country um that could be the coolest thing ever and pretty punk rock if you could bring people together because we do we obviously see that how split this country is and are going to have to recognize that we are going to have to tackle this issue as a country because um, we can't go on with a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand people already today. And over, you know, what are we going to, a thousand people and a hundred thousand people every day are going to be, it's going to destroy our, our first responders. They can't keep up with this. Absolutely. I, um, I hate to go on a, a, a like the, take a detour from the things we wanted to talk yeah, about. She's going to go, what kind of ice cream do you like now? No, 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 no. That's definitely not my next question. Although mint chocolate chip is supreme and I will fight anybody that disagrees. Um, Peacefully, I will fight them peacefully in the comments. Um, I talked about this in a previous episode where so I saw a video on YouTube, because that's where all videos live apparently these days. It was this journalist, um, I'm pretty sure it was all gas, no breaks, going to a uh, conservative event rally. Um, and this woman said that being pro-Trump is punk rock now. Like, that's what's punk. And I like... It, it, it that hit me on such a personal level because I feel like what it means to be punk, what it means to be a part of this alternative music community, what it means to be for people isn't represented by that community. And I just, in your opinion, I guess, like what does it mean to be punk in 2020? Because it used to mean something so different and I don't know. 
I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, it was punk, you know, everyone goes, what's punk? And I go, well, punk's in your heart, you know, and punk is, is, it's always been, you know, willing to really as punks, we were willing to have discussions with people with counterpoints of views. Uh, we were, we were very adamant about what we believed in, but you were willing to open your mind to other points of views. Um, if she wants to say that she was punk rock because she follows Trump, I mean, I, I don't want to be, uh, because obviously you want to respect people, but then we've obviously lowered the bar pretty low. It's, you know, I don't know, but that's, that in her mind, if that made her punk rock, um, but, you know, I, I don't know, you know, you know, I guess it, racist punk rock. We used to have a lot of racists in punk rock way back when, you know, maybe there, you know, that could have been punk rock. There were segments that were racist. There, there was, um, you know, so there was said they would be, I guess that would be, anti-immigration, you know, they could say that they don't believe in that sense, but I don't think we're, I don't know. It's, it's punk rock is really in your heart and how you live your life, you know, and that life could be, uh, just, it's, it's weird because I, as I, as I say, you know, I'm almost 60 years old now and I was at it with, we did Johnny Rotten and, and Marky Ramone. I'm sure you guys all saw the videos of that event for that documentary, um, that I was in the, uh, the, the, punk documentary and I was at that event and I'm going, I just don't know if being, you know, I always say it was hard to be punk rock. You know, it was hard to get old in punk rock. And then if you throw in a little ignorance into it, then it's really tough, you know? Um, so I don't know. You just asked me, you just sparked on so many like things right now that, I'm so sorry. you know, you know, I, 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 you know, I love that, that punk rock band, you know, the, like when I say a band, I, you know, I, I, I look at bands like Anti-Flag as a band that, that doesn't care what anyone else thinks about them. They just go do it. They never worry who they're playing with. They never worry who they're playing for. They just want to get their message out. A lot of the punk rock bands right now kind of, they kind of bum me out because they're, they, they're too cool. They're precious. They don't want to be playing with that band or this band where punk rock bands love to play. I used to do shows in LA and it'd be like punk rock bands are like, can I open for Guns N' Roses? Sure. Can we, can we sing a song? You know, we want to get our message out to as many people in as far as wide as possible. And I think recently within the the scene of music that I was grew up in and, and saw it, it, it became like, I don't want to tour with that type of band or I don't want to be around this band or I don't want to play with this. And I'm like, your message is so good. You want to sing it out as loud and as proud as you possibly can to as many people. And if they weren't your fans and, and didn't really hear your words, get out there and play in front of them so they can gravitate towards you. Yeah. It's almost like they have blinders on and they're not seeing the full, the full picture of, of what, what they can accomplish with their words. So. Yeah. So I'm sure you've seen a thousand of these, right? Mm -hmm. Just so everybody knows, Bailey just grabbed a guitar off his wall that's all stickered up. And uh, it's bonkers because we're at the exact same place, right? I got this from Warp Tour, right? Right. At Mike Records. Uh, Tyler and I had this conversation uh, at the beginning of the year. And this, I, I strongly feel that it's part of an identity and um, this might be just uh, selfish, but I want to know if you know that that impact that you had for inclusion to have everybody be a part of it, because I wasn't afraid to put all of these stickers on this guitar from I, I was inspired to do it by that. Like, oh, my God, I can express myself no matter what it is. I can express myself. And I learned that by going to warp. Like it was OK to be whatever you wanted to be. Just this, this island of misfit toys. But we all found a place. And then as I got older and more comfortable with myself, I started to get ink. And then I even went away from getting ink that was um, visible to people because I was afraid about what, what people were going to say and what people were going to do. And I just came back around to this by becoming a father to the point where I'm going to put art anywhere that I want that I'm proud of because it's a part of who I am and it's a part of expression. And I feel that that ink and music and it's just it's all a beautiful ideology and it's all wrapped up in this art and expression and what you want to be. And um, one, just thank you for for helping build that community with the inclusion. And two, um, I mean, without being weird, like what is that like to know that you've inspired a generation to be themselves? Well, you know, I I look at it with my teaching now, trying to inspire them to be take. You know, I always say why people said why did you go you know like into teaching and why in that setting? I said, one, they recruited me. I wasn't really looking to go in there. And two, I'm going to try to download as much as while you still have most of your senses about you, <laughs> uh, 
download them into some people so maybe they'll take it out into a broader business and broader world. So every year, you know, every semester I'm working with about 100 different students and we're doing a lot of philanthropical things. We're doing, uh, we're, we're exploring different types of music. We're you know, getting involved. And, and these are the students that potentially go, will run businesses in the future. And I'm watching them going out in the world and they leave with a little bit of that. You can do good business and do good with business. Uh, you know, and that was that's where sometimes it, that it gets crossed up in punk because people say, oh, you're a sellout or that's a sellout or that's a sellout. I always believe that the people that were it was OK, like, you know, Brett Gurowitz and Fat Mike and, you know, myself to a point. And these, we gave back as much as we put in and the real community would understand that they, they felt that. You know, fine. It's great, Kevin. You made a living in what you love to do, and you raised the family, and you were able to do these things. But you gave back as much as you can, and that's what punk rock was about. You got a lot out of the culture and the lifestyle um, that you were in, and that acceptance, that kind of like no judgment, that kind of most of the time. And then all of a sudden, it's like you get to a point, and I feel very lucky, and you give back. You find, you know, for me, it was always finding places for those young bands in a market that couldn't play on a big show. Um, having extra tents, every extra stages, you know, sneaking kids into the show if they didn't have the money. You know, I'd sneak kids into my own show for years, you know, giving them the opportunities to be there. But, you know, everyone says, oh, man, you know, and I heard right after when I was winding down Warp Tour, a lot of people were saying, oh, man, when's the next Warp Tour? What, what, maybe I should start a Warp Tour. I says, no, you should start something better than Warp Tour. Warp Tour had a great place and a great time. And I did it a lot. When I started it, I was working on Lollapalooza. I, were, I was working and a lot of people said, what's he trying to do, start another Lollapalooza? And I says, no, I'm, starting to try, I'm trying to start something completely different than Lollapalooza and see if it works. So I don't know, you know, in this world right now, well, right now, of course, but I can't, you can't create human soup the way Warp Tour was. Uh, but when it comes back, someone just needs to go out and, and take some of the the, the goods and, and things and be more than willing to morph something and, and grab some of those parts and make your own world out there. And by creating your own world, you can go out there and, and do this for 25 years. You know, um, typically people would say like, oh, K Kevin stopped doing Warped Tour because he wasn't making enough money. Well, really, I was fine. We made money on Warped Tour. It wasn't about money. It was just, I felt I had done everything with the project that I could. Um, you know, I really did. I put, we put a lot of energy into this. People don't realize that 90% of the things that we did for Warp Tour weren't about making money. You know, they really weren't. They were trying to create the right environment for, they were trying to create the, sh the show that, that I wish someone had for me when I was growing up. And that 10%, you had to have sound business fundamentals to get it done. And that's how running a business. But, you know, most people have been, they come in and they think the bottom line money first. We figured create the right event and then eventually enough money would come in to pay for it each year. It worked most, almost all the years. I had one bad year, 2017. It was one of those years, everything goes wrong that could possibly go wrong, uh, went wrong in 2017. I decided let's 2018, maybe it's time, let someone else maybe take the reins of their own project. We had our second biggest year and then we had those two big events and it went out, it went out with a bank. 25 years is a long time for anything. So. And, and doing those events has got to take a toll on you. It was, it was yeah, physically. Physically is a lot of the reason why I stopped doing Warp Tour. Uh, yeah. I took it as far as I possibly could to feel comfortable with myself that I gave it my all. Because then you can come to peace with something. I gave everything I possibly could to Warp Tour. And the day we drove out of that parking lot, me and my wife drove our Sprinter van up to San Francisco for those last shows. I just was like, I gave this project my all. We you know, left nothing on the sidelines with Warped Tour, but I had nothing left to give to it anymore. Um, That's the way to go out. Yeah. You know? So most people obviously know you from Warped Tour, and I'm kind of glad that we touched on the extra things that you're doing. You're a professor now at a university. But before we get into the Warped Tour stuff, you've also got the kevin lyman group which is a premier event production and brand strategy firm i'd like for you to touch on that because that's probably your your main thing you got going right now i'm i'm guessing so can you talk a little bit more about the kevin lyman group like what it is and yeah, what the agency you know, does we do a lot of philanthropic stuff i have my foundation the unite the united foundation um so we're, we're looking to expand that right now we're we're announcing our, our golf tournament we do for music cares uh, there's a way to do golf tournaments in a COVID safe environment. So we'll be doing our golf tournament. We're talking about some nonprofits are struggling right now. 
So we're talking about taking over some of their premier events, run them for them, and then donate the money to those causes. I see my, I see my life kind of going a lot in that philanthropical world, art philanthropic world, and um, and then there's all the brands. I, you know, I, I was involved with the St. Archer Brewery, helped found that company, and was on the board of that. I was with Haley Williams from Paramore. I invested in in um, her Good Dye Young Hair Dye Company. Um, you know, I do things like I work with Benji and Joel from Good Charlotte and, and Sherry. I invested in Veeps and, and I help Veeps wherever I can. So right now, I think a lot of my my probably where I'm going to probably be for the next, you know, right now, there's no rush. People go, are you going to book another festival? Yeah, I'm like, I don't want to even think about it until we get that under control. And that's out of our control. Can we make sure the bands are clean and safe? And we can we we feel we can, but we can't gather large amounts of people together. So why think about it right now? Let's try to keep trying new things. So literally every day I'm kind of um, talking to new people. I just joined a, a board. It's not public of a, of a company. I've joined a couple of boards to help guide business that maybe will help young artists in the future. Uh, you know, it's, and you know, I'm trying to get my golf game straightened out. Got, Aren't we all? You know, I, you know it's, a, it's a good social distancing thing, kayak fishing. Barbecuing is going great, you know, gardening, you know, um, you know, I kind of wrecked myself after physically working the way, way I did for so long. Um, anyone that knows me from a show, I, I was in the middle of it every day. You know, I wasn't sitting on a tour bus. I didn't sit in a golf cart. I didn't sit in a production office. Um, the wear and tear on your body. So I had a few surgeries to put myself back together and actually take the time to heal. I was in, I was in the hospital on February 27th when I really started hearing about this coronavirus, you know, the oh, corona man. and watching a hospital transform around me. And I was, I was watching how they were changing protocols and things. And I started asking questions and people are willing to talk if you ask questions. And uh, I know right when this came out, I made, I did some stories for different people who are writing stories about it. And I made some comments about, I think, you know, the dominoes are going to fall if we lose you know, South by Southwest. And, and people were like, fuck Kevin Lyman. I can't believe you saying this about the industry, this, this, and this. And I was like, and then a week later, they're canceling their shows. So they told me later, they're going, well, you were right. And I said, well, I didn't, I, you know, it's, it kind of goes into that. Like I was trying to, I'm not a, a, a scientist, so I didn't really want to speak out of turn, but I saw something changing that we must've been aware of. And uh, you know, it was, it was a really weird time. So to think about doing live shows, even though like I've been saying, I, you know, if, it's, if 19 trucks pulled up in front of my house, I'd have a lot of fun setting them all up in three hours and doing a show for my neighbors, you know, if we could. So, yeah. Well, let us know if that happens so we can make the uh, travel. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I will happily road trip to Cali. Right, right. <laughs> you, you have a huge impact on all of us. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We're so stoked. Um, you have zero ego. Was that always, and, and I hate to ask, but was that, was there ever a time, because we're looking at, at the roster, how deep it is, and the this event, Warped Tour, had such an, an impact on the music industry, it had an impact just on people's lives, and, and you're a part of that. Um, I mean, was there a point when you had an ego, and you're like, I am the hottest thing under the sun, or have you always been this humble? Because having this conversation with you is beautiful, because you have this wealth of knowledge, and you're, you're not walking around like your shit doesn't stink. No, you know, I, I, I were, I was one of those people that worked my way up through the clubs. You know, I worked for 12 and a half years in the clubs every night of the week. Uh, now I loved getting the chance to do that, but I always said, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in here because I, you know, you go to those clubs and there's always some miserable person that's been there working there for way too long. And music's too important for me to get miserable around it. You know, it, it never made sense to me why people were, you know, bummer road crews or these kind of things going on. Um, you know, I, I just feel like I do. I do. I feel I've worked really, really hard for where I got, but I feel also like, you know, I feel somewhat lucky. Um, maybe, you know, maybe it's just not really, you know, it's, I always say it's a fine line between confidence and cockiness. That's what I teach my, my students, you know? And I said, you know, you have to have that inner confidence in yourself that you can figure what your way out of a problem, or you have to be willing to ask for help. The, the, that that's exude, and you can exude confidence with that. It's the cockiness that puts people in trouble a lot of times. And you know, and having a bit of an ego, you have to have that ego and be able to manage it though, because the ego is not about yourself. It's about that you have confidence in what you are producing. And when 
when sometimes I would say, people would say, oh, I'm starting a, another festival like Warfare. I say, great, go, good, go get it. Go get, go get it, you know, because you have the confidence in yourself that you can continue to do what you do. And I'd stay focused and uh, try to stay focused. And I didn't, I, I listened, but I, I wasn't easily influenced from the outside. And, and you, and then when you make a mistake, just admit it and move on. You know, um, don't dwell on your mistakes too much. Yeah. We have, you know, plenty of people who listen to this podcast and I'm sure people, students of yours who want to have a career in the music industry. Um, how do young professionals take necessary steps to become marketable and or partner with entities such as the Kevin Lyman Group or, you know, other similar, you know, companies or entities out there? Well, I always tell people you want to get involved in live events. And, you know, some people say, well, I only want to work in punk rock. And I said, well, look, that was when I started out, I would work at any show in the world. I would work metal shows one night, work punk shows. I was working Latin music. I was So it gave me a lot of influences. Um, but it was like, never say no, just get, take any opportunity. I always tell people, um, you know, and it's hard during COVID, especially in the live space. And I, I always say, they go, how do I break into live events? I go, go volunteer, go do an internship or something for your local wedding planner. Because people don't realize how close a wedding is to a live event. You've got the, you've got the, you've got the headliner, which is the bride or groom or bride versus you've got the band, the supporting cast, which is the groom's people and the people directly involved. Then you have the fan base that's going to be there. That has to be taken care of. You're going to have the caterers because you're going to have to have food. And then you might have to deal with the elements. It's the exact same thing we had. And you might have to deal with a band with, with having some music and make sure they have a power place to power it. It all kind of builds off of that. So I really work with my students to try to place them into things they might not think. And I go, this is getting your foot in the door with something. This is how it gets in the door. And you then you you know, and then I t explain to them how to go to a conference and and be able to work at a con work a conference to try to get the most out of things. Um, you know, right now, I've been able to pivot a lot of students into that streaming space. Uh, I think there's going to be more opportunities in the music business than ever, because post-COVID, we're going to have a, a segment of society and expands into the mental health world that I've been kind of navigating and working in um, a little bit. I'm not an expert or, or trained in it. That's the thing. I'm not trained in anything. I just kind of figure it out as I go. But you kind of look at it and go, we are going to have 15% of our society roughly, if not more, will be suffering some form of PTSD. And they're going to be needing to digest their music in a, in a different way for some time. They're not going to rush back to live shows. So streaming is not going away. There will be less companies doing other things, but there's going to be streaming. Uh, a lot of people have gone over and worked with Cameo, which was looked at a fringe as a fringe business uh, before this. Uh, today, I was just talking to a friend who's doing a comic books, these virtual comic books or something with bands right now, um, wants to spin off and do some punk rock bands. So I'll take a look at that. He's doing it with mostly metal bands right now. So I think really, I always tell people, and I say, when we do go back to whatever the new norm is, it's going to be a business run by 40 year olds for 20 year olds. People like myself, there'll be a few of us that if we were good to you guys, we might get a consulting gig for a couple of years. But a lot of people are going to be leaving the business or transferring out of what we do right now. Um, they, they've been home for the first time. They never, they tour all the time. They got home. They go, wait, I like being at home. I Wait, that segment, maybe I can transfer just doing something at home. My skills work well. Managing a logistics for a warehouse or a, a you know, vegetable company. I could get a job where I can actually come home at night once in a while. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there. All right. So Kevin, I feel like we'd be, I know we've already talked about Warp Tour a little bit, um, but I think we'd be doing our listeners a, a disservice if we didn't go into it a little bit more. Um, what I'd like to do is give our listeners, I don't want to say closure, but to give them a better understanding of the life of Warp Tour and the legacy that it left uh, to do that. I think we should probably start from the beginning. Like, do you remember where you were when you came up with the idea of Warp Tour? I know you yeah. said you were working for Lollapalooza at the time right. and you were trying to make a version of that. But so well, it was, it was supposed to be good. It was supposed to be the counter version to it. It wasn't, it wasn't supposed okay. to be anything like Lollapalooza. It was if I had my own festival, but um, I was actually sitting in the snow uh, up in uh, Big Bear. We were just finished an event. Uh, the board aid. I used to do a lot of uh, charity events where we would have skateboarding and snowboarding and bands playing in the mountains. 
Um, so we do boarding for breast cancer, board aid. We used to do a lot of benefit shows here in Southern California. Uh, Golden Voice was the company I was involved with, uh, early you know pioneers in punk rock shows in LA and Southern California. And uh, so I was sitting in the snow and I go, you know, this whole lifestyle, I had heard backstage that day, someone talked about the X Games. And we'd already been combining skateboarding and music. We were doing events, we had board in OC, we had these events. And, and I go, wow, this could actually become known more than the coast. It was usually like a Florida thing. It wasn't, and I said, you know what, for one last summer, I'm gonna go out and bring a ramp, bring some friends bands uh, from, you know, Quicksand and Orange Nine Millimeter and No Doubt and Sublime. I just went to whoever would come with me and travel the country with the skateboard ramp, just promoting this lifestyle that we grew up with. And uh, got it out that first year. I mean, working 13 years and working 320 shows a year, uh, this was in March and we were on the road by August 1st that year. So it was, it was very quickly when we went, I uh, wasn't probably properly 100%. It was more just go for it. It was like, I was just do this. I made time to get that real job that people talk about. My first daughter was on her way and, uh, we got it together. Then we went out second year. You know, I was lucky enough to attract the attention of Vans and Vans became our sponsor, which was an interesting time because punk rock and sponsorship wasn't really accepted at that point, but we would have never gotten down the road. I was, I was trying to do a $15 ticket that had no effects and Pennywise. And, and I think that's where we kind of got legitimized in the punk rock world. No effects in Pennywise coming from that world. I was the guy who loaded their trucks, loaded their vans, threw people off stage all night. Uh, set up the dressing rooms. Up to that point, all music events were kind of, festivals were kind of created by an artist, Perry Farrell with Jane's Addiction, uh, Blues Travelers with John Popper and Sarah McLaughlin with uh, Lil' Affair thing. They were, they were being created by, I'm the guy that loaded the band in LA. I think Greg Graffin from Bad Religions never like understood how I ever did this because I was the guy who loaded his van. But it's kind of a joke that we, you know, like I actually amounted to something. So. Um, we end up, uh, you know, we we started getting unknown within the punk rock world. You know, I think those two bands legitimized it with a certain group of people, but it was always an eclectic music festival. If you go back, uh, you know, the, you know the Deftones and 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 like even Sublime and Sugar Ray that year, and then you know the Blink One Eight Twos, and we were right there on that cusp when when I was starting. I was still working in the clubs of L.A. because we weren't making money on the tour, and then all of a sudden it was kind of like I started seeing this kind of weird thing going on in punk rock that was becoming more melodic and it was more, you know, accessible in a sense. It wasn't, you know, as aggressive as, as punk. And that would have been the punk rock or the pop rock, pop punk phase, you know? And I, we kind of got into that Blink-182 traveling on my tour bus with me, things like that. And then, you know, and that then meeting the guys in Sum 41, their promoters like, oh, we got to put, you know, them on one show. I got to showcase them to you. And then the next, and then I said, oh, they got to come. So it was this really cool network of people and we were all trying to build it. And then in a sense, mainstream radio, which was alternative radio, the K-Rocks of the world, a lot of WHFS and a bunch of stations that no longer exist, had to kind of embrace that music in a way, even if it was on specialty shows, people were gravitating and we were selling a lot of tickets and people were, it, it was hard to ignore this movement going on. And, uh, you know, and then we, you know, kind of rode along and then all of a sudden two kids, some couple bands showed up for a few years with AFI and then My Chemical Romance and Fall Out Boy. And I go, wait, we're transferring again. But I always wanted to pay homage to, you always want to pay homage to where we came from. So that's why you would always have some sort of punk rock, you know, but it was more the music that was singing. And that's what Warp Tour was. It was singing to a generation and that generation changed over time. Um, you know, people go, oh, that band sucks. I don't know if they're that good. A day to remember, you would hear. And I go, I look at the front row of kids and watching them singing as as the same way we would have sang to the Dead Kennedys or Circle Jerks or something that we listened to. So you never judged where it was at. And that's what Warped was. It was never, it was it was a sounding board for generations. And But I always believed you brought some of it back. And, you know, later on, as the tour got towards the end, I started realizing maybe we were trying to spread ourselves too far. We had people that were in their 60s touring with people in their teens. There were a lot of generations there. And things have changed, not only musically, but societal. And some of the things that might um, had looked at at one point as just crude, when you know there was some controversy when I brought the Dickies out and some people were offended by the, the same jokes I was hearing in 1985. They were still saying, don't really go over as well in an audience in 2017. 
So I started to realize we were, we were separating, even though I was trying to keep all this music alive in a way, the generations of people just touring, the audiences changed a bit. Um, and maybe it was, I was trying to do, pull too much together. So that's in 2018 is when I said, you know what? It's been a good run. Maybe someone else could take over with their own event. I'll go out with that year. And it was kind of a semi nostalgia year where I really kind of focused on that. Like 20, that person, I wasn't worried about getting new people coming to Warp Tour. I always wanted to get young people to come to Warp Tour. And maybe I was going too young sometimes, but I believe those young people, if I could get them to listen to a young, like a Pierce the Veil or something, and get into the record labels Fearless and Hopeless and these labels that I loved and Epitaph that were, and I own part of Side One Dummy, get those people in when they're 14, 15, 16 versus listening to be, and no offense against like One Direction at that point or something, get them to come to our shows, um, they're gonna see a different, like maybe be turned on to something different. So we were trying, and maybe they were too young to be coming to a festival, you know? I mean, the crowd got pretty young at, at one point. It was, you know, averaging around 15, 16 years old. Uh, great for the bands. They were selling a lot of merchandise. They were getting people turned on to them and everything. But when you brought some of these older bands in, sometimes there was some some little weird con there was conflicts out there. Um, so we were we we're trying to span a span a lot, and uh, you know the pressures were getting a little bunch to when bands were calling me and saying, "Hey, if I don't get on the tour this year, my label's not going to put out the record." You know things like that. That that. We weren't supposed to become the only thing of the summer. Uh, and Warped kind of, not intentionally, it was an organic festival in a way. It grew, it, it grew to certain, when, you know, Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance blew up that year, I brought them out with me. And you threw an Avenged Sevenfold playing Warp Tour with a smoke machine, which was crazy. It was funny. We have, I see Matt once in a while, we still laugh about Avenged Sevenfold showing up with a smoke machine on Warp Tour. You know, all of a sudden, and then in that that period, it was just the shows were almost it would almost its own success killed Warp Tour. It got so big that I almost went really hard back to the roots and brought bands like Helmet. And I went from having like eight bands in the top twenty in America. No, it was by accident because I booked them in September, October the year before. They got big that summer, and then all of a sudden. I went out with helmet and a real underground trying to get it back to make sure the core was there because I, because I always believed warp was there for a person and they, they stuck a lot of people stuck loyal to it for a long time. Um, a lot of people would come each and every year. And even that last year, a lot of people came up and says, I've been coming for 17 years. I've been coming for 18 years. doesn't matter. I just love to come and expose myself to all this. Um, and then people were, you know, you're going to be up for your criticism. There was going to be people that, you know, Warp Tour, you know, sold out or Warp Tour allowed weird old dudes on it that sell, sell crude jokes or, you know, it was also hard because I did believe in due process. And, and there were some artists, there's bad artists out there. There was bad artists out there. But I was trying to figure all this out. So that's why I brought those organizations like A Voice for the Innocent and hope for the day. Some of those professionals in the field to help me navigate some of these issues that teens were going through. Um, social media bullying, cyber bullying. Um, what an experience because I was like a 56 year old man, 55 year old man being cyber bullied all day long. And uh, it was like, it, it, it was like, wow. And I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be far along in my life that this crap wouldn't affect me and it did. And all I was thinking about was, wow, if I was not, hadn't, wasn't who I was and had the life's experiences and things, this could ruin you. So, oh, absolutely. You know, so watching that and, you know, it was, I was constantly learning from that tour. People might not realize, um, I think I was teaching people, but I was constantly learning. And that's why I would get involved with so many of those nonprofits and so many things to try to help them, to give them a platform to become national resources for youth out there because I would realize that we don't have student counselors. Um, a lot of high schools have one counselor for 2,500 students and they're supposed to also get them in college. Um, so when we could go out and pass resource cards out to people that might have been uh, victims of sexual violence uh, with hope for the day in a local market, uh, because I met a bunch of high school counselors who go, we don't have those resources. Wow, give me one of those cards. That's great to have. Um, but it was, it just became a lot. It, there's some, you know, there's a point where you have to kind of go, all right. It's like, I need to live my life, like kind of in a sense of where I probably should be 
and let someone else take it because it is a full-time round the clock job to maintain something for 25 years. Not only that, you didn't, you didn't have a free summer for 25 years. Yeah, there was no free summer. There was September, October. There was no free days around the house. There's whatever is it right now, November. Uh, we would be really rushing right now to get the pre-sale on sale by Thanksgiving. So I'd be grinding my agent to get all the buildings locked in and the building contracts locked in. Um, you know, we were constantly on this treadmill. And I think we're seeing that in society. That's why bands can take time to look at doing other things now, uh, doing comic books because they're not on tour for a moment because everyone had a tour all the time to make money because all our money was coming from tour. We neglected all these other things in life that could enrich your life and enrich your career. Um, I, I guess I know that you said that you didn't have a whole lot of like, it was around the clock all year, you know, job. Um, but in those rare moments where you could decompress, de-stress, what kinds of things would you do to just kind of, have like just Kevin time. Like, I mean, I know that you mentioned earlier that you would garden, but was there anything else that you would do oh, just man. to like kind of ground yourself and come back down to like earth from all the stress? A lot of times on the road, that would mean like when everyone took a day off, they would, we had very few days off, but everyone would go somewhere like to like, a, 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 everyone liked the hotel or a mall. That's where people like to go on tour. I hate mm -hmm. malls. I don't necessarily, you know, stay in a hotel. I had a tour bus. Um, so I would take my bus and find a band or two that maybe I didn't know real well and invite them to come out to a lake with me and get patio boats or go whitewater rafting or go, we, we went, we went skydiving on that tour. We maybe played That's so exciting. And, you know, just those moments are what I remember. People go, what do you remember about work? I go, oh, the day that like I kidnapped Paramore and took him out on a boat fishing and, and just got him away from their man, the managers and the press for a day or you know the whitewater rafting trips. And then I'll run into a band that goes, hey man, I went this to just 15 years ago with you. And I, I'm like, oh, okay, I forgot which bands were with me because it was more about the experience of just being around people. You weren't like, oh, I'm with this band or you know, Rio, rafting on the Rio Grande River in New Mexico. Those were the days or um, those are the things you're really gonna remember. So I still do those things. You know, I, I used to have a tour bus that's gone now and now I have a Sprinter van and me and my wife can go enjoy and cruise around on our Sprinter van not as much as we want right now because of COVID, but we've been able to get out a little bit and um, looking forward to that time. I almost feel, and Tyler opened up as the, the godfather of the scene, um, you've seen and, and nurtured so many people throughout this entire span. Um, it, did you have a, a solid uh, parental foundation at home? Because it just seems that you care so much about these people and all you want to do is help and level the playing field. And I find it really hard to um, or to understand or come to grips with it was just, you're so selfless. And I have to ask if there's motivation behind the selflessness of, Hey, no, this is what we did. We took care of people. And I, it, it was a learned trait is what I'm trying to get at because it's just, I, I see no ego. I see selfless. And, and I'd like to think that that's not programmed, but sometimes it is. Well, you know, I don't, you know, you start going back through your life and go, all right, what, what molded you and what shaped you? And, you know, I don't, I was adopted. Um, I was, I was adopted. So I don't look at that. I, it's one of those things where I never was like, Oh, I have to go hunt down my birth parents or anything. It was like, I'm being raised by these awesome people. Um, we, we had a it was, a, we had a semi, I don't, a very semi structured, but not overly strict. Um, we were taught about working. I had two jobs since I was like, we built Disneyland in my backyard, me and my brother and, and pull people around in wagons for a penny. And then the parents would yell at us for charging kids to play in our backyard. And my mom would come out and defend us, you know, because she's like, they're just learning how to do business, you know? Um, so maybe all those things that, you know, so I was always working. Um, I was in school. Um, I never, you know, I did, I did, I did good in school. I got, I don't know. I, I seemed to get through school pretty good. I you know, got into college pretty easy. Uh, it was a different time. Um, but no one's ever really given me anything. I never, I never, um, never really borrowed money for anyone. I have no debt to anyone. Um, I just believe that people need to be given a chance. And, you know, as people go, what is your greatest, you know, what feels good? And I go, well, we've had a lot of talk about in the BLM and Black Lives Matter and everything. And, and you know, it's a process in my mind of, of like, I worked in the business when I was in, in the 80s. There was no women working in the music business, in the live events field, very few. 
And I, I wanted to say, there should be more girls working in this thing. So I just started hiring girls to work my shows. It was, it made things a little calmer too. I always found that they put a little calmer edge to a crazy time when everyone was doing cocaine in the clubs and, and the manicness of these road managers coming in all crazy. And they'd see these really powerful together women running the backstage at my shows and it just tempered her. So it made my life a little easier in some senses too, because they weren't manic, they weren't acting crazy. And so we, we, we opened a door for touring for a lot of women. Now, there's been a lot of talk we need to open the touring world for more people of color. I said, absolutely, absolutely. But it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a long commitment. It, you know, there's no jumping in and fixing a systemic racism situation. I don't think we have systemic racism. I just don't think certain doors have opened up or people have really reached out. Once we do as an industry, we can open some doors for some people. But it's going to take the next generation to do it. Um, so people who have worked with me who are now at leadership positions, they're road managing very big bands, the road can, can start using the tools we did to open it up in another way. You don't fix it overnight. And the best compliment, one of the best compliments I think I ever got in life, and I'm not a person that lives off of compliments, but when Ice-T um, was on 1991 Lollapalooza and we became friends, um, he, you know, I looked up to him and, you know, he thought I was he respected me for the work ethic and what I was doing. And I helped him learn how to tour. And the next year, Ice Cube was coming on Lollapalooza. And Ice Cube at that point, you know, he came with the crew, the Farrakhan crew and that crew. So there was a little bit of tension amongst people, uh, white people. And uh, Ice-T took his time to fly up to the first rehearsal. And he introduced me to Ice Cube and said, this guy right here is someone that you need to really work close with. And the only color he sees is ignorance. And, and that's what I see. I see people that don't take the time to learn. And that's what's kind of killed me in this political stance. You have so many people with so many political opinions, and then you ask them basic questions like, who's Mitch McConnell? And they go, I don't know. Or who is Stephen Miller? And they're like, I don't know. Or, you know, yesterday I was asking my students, I go, all these people that run around and defend the Constitution, to be honest, I'm not like a constitutional law guy, but I, me and my wife read the constitution yesterday morning. And then I asked my students in class, tell me the amendments right here. And they go, well, freedom of speech, right to bear arms. Most people can't get past that. It's like, oh wait, there's something about military being able to stay at your house if not in non-war times, you know? And I said, that's the problem. No one takes any time to learn past the second line of anything. We've gotten stuck on the second line. And ignorance right now, people not taking the time, being manipulated by things like Fox News, you know, and potentially you could say on the other side, just watching one form of news, whether that's MSNBC or something like that, we're, we're 94, 95% of us could get along in this country if we all threw each other in a room and said, no one knows anyone's political affiliation. You're going to find things you don't agree with. Um, and that's some of the things that happened with Warped Tour. It was like, I would bring a counter view to someone else's view, and it all of a sudden blew up online because someone went, and it went around, you know, I, no one did the research on Kevin Lyman. I produced the first Rock for Choice shows. You know, I, I donate to Planned Parenthood. But we were trying to get Planned Parenthood to come to Warp Tour, and they wouldn't. They weren't responding. And then this group came to me and says, "We're pro-life," and I'm like, "Okay." And I said, "Well, what? Tell me about your pro." And they were like, "We're actually a pro-adoption organization." And I go, "That's cool because I'm glad someone thought they were pro-adoption when I when I was born that you could actually adopt someone." And I, so you're welcome to come to Warp Tour. But we've become so narrow focused. I get attacked for being some subvert to the pro-life movement. And really all people don't know is take the time to me because by bringing them, it got the people from Planned Parenthood to call me back and they started coming to Warped Tour, you know? Uh, and right now we're so like, they can't be in the, you know, it was like this whole like attacking, uh, I, it was, and then they attack your family and then they attack, well, I'm like, wait, you know, this is just ridiculous, you know? Um, so I always believed, and you know, I go back to early Warped Tours when we would have PETA, and we would have spam in the same parking lot. They're about two polar opposites, but you know what? It's your choice as a guest to whether to come up and talk to them or ignore them and go run around in the mosh pit all night. You know, 
we just, I just like to put a sounding board for a lot of things in one place and let everyone kind of find their own path. And that's what worked her was. All right, Kevin, we know you got to get going, but before you do, we'd like to ask you seven or so questions in our rapid fire question segment. Bailey, go ahead and start us off. If you could have your backyard barbecue, what band would play? Um, Mishka. Beautiful. All right. Converse or Vans? Oh, Jesus. Well, no, wait, I'm, uh, I, I got to go with Vans. They supported me. <laughs> I told you. I told you that's what he was going to say. You never know. Converse emos and Vans emos are very All right. Contracts are everything. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite Warp Tour year? Oh, God. I used to always say the next one. But um, I would have to say 2018 was pretty fun. And two, yeah. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you miss most about Warp Tour? Opening the doors and just and watching people walk out exhausted, just talking about the, the band that they just discovered or met and their moms come up to it. I'll never forget Asbury Park. And it was um, I was down on the beach walking and up on the boardwalk. There was two moms kind of waiting for the kids to come out. And the kids ran up right then and go, mom, we just let we just met. Bert from the used and Chuck from simple plan. And the moms are like, nice. And I could just picture those moms coming out and yelling at their mom. I just read, I just met Bruce Springsteen, you know, like in Jersey, you know, say, I just, I'll never forget the, like that look, you know, and it was like, it was opening the doors, watching the people come in and just getting goosebumps every day. Nice. Will Warp Tour ever make a comeback in some fashion? I never, you never want to say never, you know, um, you know, I've got some ideas, but they might be more towards the charity side of stuff we were doing with Unite the United. Um, you know, I did that big punk festival, the It's Not Dead punk festival out here. That was super fun. Uh, that was like with all my friends. Uh, you know, I've kind of got the name for my next one. It's going to be Back from the Dead after COVID, maybe. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say never. You never want to. Um, and I think there might be a moment that you want to get a reunion kind of something together, maybe on the cruise ship again or something. You know, that was a lot of fun. Gotcha. Cool. Um, this is our last rapid fire. So think hard. Um, if you could give advice to younger Kevin, what would you tell him? Oh man. Put a cast on a broken ankle. Uh, with, you know, when you when you tear a ligament in your knee, take care of it because eventually you're going to have to have a replacement and a rebuild and it sucks. So take care of your body a little better. You know, take care of your body because, you know, I, and, and wear earplugs. <laughs> we don't want to get tinnitus. My ears ring so bad all the time and people don't realize. And I tell all my students wear earplugs and I get, I, that's why I got my crew earplugs. It's miserable. Of all the things, I'll give me all the surgeries, anything I've ever done in my life, hurt injuries, cut off my pinky, just all this stuff. The ringing in the ear just keeps going and it just keeps going. And it makes listening to music harder. Gotcha. So. Um, well, just wear your earplugs. It's not like, yeah, wear your earplugs. Got it. Cool. All right, perfect. Well, Kevin, we'll go ahead and close this out. All right. Um, Pleasure meeting everyone. Tyler, Allie, yeah. Bailey. Pleasure. Be safe. Kevin, thank you so much again for coming on our show. You have no idea what that means to us. On behalf of the whole scene community, thank you for everything. Most of us have fond memories of Warp Tour and the bands we discovered along the way because of it. And that is why we call you the godfather of the scene. I hope we can do it again sometime. And just like that, guys, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening and hanging out with us. You can help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and following this channel. Tell your friends and spread the word. We're on all major podcast streaming platforms, so follow or subscribe there as well. So thanks again. Remember, spread love. Peace. Peace.